Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two ministers of God's economy who served together in China for nearly 20 years. Watchman Nee was imprisoned by the Chinese government in 1952 and remained there until his death in 1972. Following his imprisonment, Witness Lee carried on this ministry in Taiwan and eventually in America and ultimately around the world. He served the Lord for more than 70 years before going to be with him in 1997. His major contribution was through a 21-year labor he called Life Study, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible. This program is based on those messages. Before we join today's show, we'd like to give you our website where you can find more programs just like this one. It's lsmradio.org. Again, lsm radio.org now here's our show today in the bible story of jonah we probably recall that he was fleeing running away from jehovah and the task that god had appointed to him that of bringing god's message of judgment and repentance to the evil city nineveh in the story as jonah is trying to escape from god he's thrown into the sea during a raging storm only to be swallowed up by a giant fish. He remained alive in the belly of the fish for three days until he was spewed up by the fish onto dry land. Well, this is the part of the story that most of us remember and can retell to our children. But the story continues, for eventually Jonah reached Nineveh. And not only did he proclaim God's righteous judgment on that evil city, but he also witnessed firsthand Jehovah's mercy and salvation upon the people of Nineveh. Another book in the Old Testament, another of the minor prophets, is that of Nahum. And once again, the subject of the book is the city of Nineveh. Only this time, we don't see God's mercy and compassion resulting in salvation for the city. Rather, we see God's righteous indignation and judgment upon Nineveh resulting in the city's ultimate destruction. What was it about this ancient city that caused it to be the focus of so much attention by the Old Testament prophets. We have a New Testament prophet with us today, Matt Miller. Of course, we're all prophets in the New Testament, Matt, so I think I can safely say that. This is really interesting, isn't it, to get into these uh, books and to see them in the light that's being shined on them in this life study. It is, Chris, and uh, I appreciate your reference there to the New Testament that uh, Paul said in Corinthians that all can prophesy, so we hope that not just you and I, but every listener would be speaking for the Lord and speaking forth the Lord to those around them. But you know, Chris, as I've gotten into this book of Nahum in preparation today, I really have a special appreciation for Nahum. Uh, like you said, uh, the, the city of Nineveh is dealt with in Nahum in the opposite way that the city of Nineveh was dealt with in Jonah. Right. And uh, they repented in uh, the time of the writing of Jonah was about 862 B.C. And the writing of Nahum is just about 150 years later in 713 B.C. In the first preaching of Jonah, the city of Nineveh repented because God's warned them of judgment if they didn't. 
And now, in 713 B.C., another event happens. And you really have to read 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 to really get the context of the book of Nahum, because that's what's happening at the same time that Nahum is prophesying. And, and during that time, the king of Assyria sends his armies up against Israel and sends in uh, his spokesman to warn Hezekiah and to warn God's people that they should not trust Jehovah mm. and that they will not be saved from the gods of the Assyrians. And the Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is just making threatening and mocking statements to God's people, telling them, you're going to eat your own dung, you're going to drink your urine. It was just a really threatening situation. And Hezekiah went to Isaiah the prophet and and said, Jehovah, you're the only God. How can we put up with this? And I'm summarizing here. But in short, uh, the Lord responded and said, he's not going to get away with this. And, and then eventually... An angel of the Lord came and Sennacherib's army, 185,000 were killed the next morning by an angel. And that was the timing of it. And so they didn't take over Israel as they threatened to do in 713 B.C. But in short, Nahum prophesied that the end of Assyria, the end of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, just like Babel was the capital of Babylon. Most people are familiar with Babel but they're not familiar with Assyria. They're not familiar with Nineveh. Yet both of those cities typify a rebellion against God. Both of those cities. Uh, Starting in Genesis chapter 10 right, with, right. with Nimrod. That's what I was going to say. Both those cities were built by Nimrod, who was the first, uh, I think, prefigure of the Antichrist and, and represents rebellion towards God. This city has a, a long ancient history symbolizing rebellion, doesn't it? It does. And we see the fulfillment of the prophecy against Nineveh for that rebellion in 612 B.C. when the Assyrian nation ended through the invasion of the Babylonian and Median empires. All right, Matt, this book, Nahum, Matt, a book of judgment on this city, Nineveh, and I'm just going to read the first four verses because I think it kind of gives the tone for the whole book. The burden concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite, Jehovah is a jealous God and one who avenges. Jehovah avenges and is full of wrath. Jehovah takes vengeance on his adversaries and reserves wrath for his enemies. Jehovah is long-suffering and great in power and will by no means clear the guilty. Jehovah, his way is in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. And he dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel languish, and the sprout of Lebanon languishes. This is the side of uh, the Lord, Matt, that uh, we tend to shy away from. But nonetheless, uh, to have a full appreciation of the gospel, we need to know that God is also a God of righteous judgment. Okay, here's Witness Lee with our first segment. Now we come to another book, the book of Nehung. This book is of three chapters. Nehung, his book, is just vast versa of the book of Jonah. Both of these two prophets, they dealt with the same city, Nineveh. You see, the book of Jonah is 100% for Nineveh. But Nehung is vast versa. Jonah extended God's salvation to the 
sinful city of Nineveh. But Nahum brought God's judgment on Nineveh. Yes, God is the God of every people, of all the peoples, not only of the Jews, but of the Gentiles. That's true. Yet, you have to realize God is God to every people in the way of saving, also in the way of judging. Now, we are on this book of judging. In this book, you could see the cause of God's judgment and also the effect of God's judgment. Here, I'd like to tell you, in the Bible, Nineveh was built by Nimrod. And this city, Nineveh, was against God. If you read Genesis 10, you can see we are told Nimrod, who was an apostle of God, and who is also the first type of Antichrist. He builded two big cities. First, Babel, then second, Nineveh. Both of these two, I tell you, are strong figures of mankind being opposers to God. that again to uh, kind of build the context here. We need this portion in Second Kings that you referred to. We also need uh, to go back to Genesis 10, don't we, to get the full picture, especially of this one Nimrod. A lot of people never heard of Nimrod or may not remember, but he was a key early figure, wasn't he? He was, Chris. And it, it, as you trace Nimrod's two main cities, firstly was Nineveh, which became the capital of Assyria. And then you take Babel, which was the capital of Babylon, these two cities, you can trace them through the whole Bible, and especially the very next chapter in Genesis, after it mentions Nimrod building these cities, then right away there's the Tower of Babel. Everyone's heard of the Tower of Babel. That's why Babel gets so much more attention, especially when you get to the end of the Bible, you have mystery Babylon, Babylon the Great. Okay, so Babylon is a picture of a city that's in opposition and rebellion to God as seen throughout the whole Bible. Well, Nineveh is also, and especially you see this in Second Kings chapters 18 and 19 with the attack and the mocking of the Assyrians against God's people and against Jehovah particularly. And so God is isolating these two cities out as representatives of the rebellion and opposition against him. So we've got this early prefigure of the Antichrist, Nimrod, this uh, opposer to God, and he really exalts himself, as you said, especially by the time we get to chapter 11 in Genesis. He builds these two great cities, Babel and Nineveh, that become two capitals, two little dynasties of their own, you know, each in their own geographical area there. And now we have God's judgment coming upon one of the cities, Nineveh, uh, in Jonah's time, it was met by a kind of a repentance, as we talked about. The people there did respond to the word of warning and judgment. They repented, and God extended his salvation to Nineveh. But 150 years later, the city has fallen back into complete, utter opposition and rebellion against God. And this time, his judgment comes through the prophecy of uh, this minor prophet, Nahum. 
And the word this time, there's no hint of God's uh, salvation being extended to him. Let's go on. Uh, we read the first four verses. I'd like to read the next four. Uh, let's hear about what happens to Nineveh. The mountains quake because of him, and the hills melt, and the earth is heaved up at his presence. Indeed, the world and all that inhabit it. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can maintain himself in the fierceness of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken down by him. Jehovah is good, a stronghold in a day of distress, and he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a full end of her place, and he will pursue his enemies into darkness. This uh, overflowing flood, a very prophetic word, Let's find out how it's fulfilled, man. What Nahum spoke in his book was prophecies, was predictions. And some of his predictions were of God's judgment on Nineveh. The verdict concerning Nineveh's destruction by the Medes and Babylonians in 612 B.C. Okay, we all have to pay full attention to this verdict. This verse, verse 8, shows that when the day came, God used the overflowing flood to make a full end of Nineveh. What was the flood? The story is this. Nineveh was built on the river of Tigris, and Babylon is built on Euphrates. Nineveh was built on Tigris, and there is a small river surrounding Nineveh with Tigris. So the entire city of Nineveh is surrounded by water. Eventually, the water becomes a protection of the city. And they used the water very much. And there are some gates that uh, the water could uh, get into the city. Then in the year 612, the Medes came with the Babylonians to attack Nineveh. And they found a way to open the water gates. Then all the water from the river flooded into the city. And even that river flooded the palace. God used that flood to make a full end of Nineveh. And Matt, uh, in Mesopotamia, this region where history has its beginning, there are these two great rivers we've heard of, the Tigris, the Euphrates. Babylon was built on the river of Euphrates, but Nineveh was built on the Tigris, and as he described, it formed a kind of a natural moat around the city. Perhaps a channel from the Tigris surrounded the entire city, which became a real protection, but it ultimately was their undoing, wasn't it? Makes you almost wonder if the Babylonians and Medes who fulfilled this prophecy actually heard of Nahum's prophecy, because he predicted just about a hundred years before the destruction of Nineveh how they would be destroyed through the flood in verse 8 of chapter 1 here. So it's really as was fulfilled in 612 B.C. when the Medes and the Babylonians came in and actually did this. They opened the gates up, the floodwaters came in, it destroyed the city of Nineveh, and that was the end of the Assyrian Empire. So um, that prophecy fulfilled a hundred years later. You know, just to go back now, to put this final section into context, uh, 
the entire life study of these uh, minor prophets of the Old Testament has been summarized by Witness Lee and in a number of our programs as, first, God's chastisement of Israel using these four great empires in human history, these four locusts that Joel refers to in chapter one of his prophecy. Of course, the first one being the Babylonian Empire that we've been talking about today. The Medo-Persian Empire, they're also now figured in here, uh, playing a part in the destruction of Nineveh as the second great world empire. The third great one being the Greek Empire of Alexander the Great and the fourth great empire, the Roman Empire. All four of these through history brought suffering, um, brought God's chastisement in a sense upon Israel. But in many instances, they went overboard. They were excessive. And then the other part of the spine of prophets is God's reaction to their excessive judgment upon Israel. We're really seeing that uh, played out today, aren't we? Yeah, we are, Chris. And uh, eventually that's what happened is the each locust came and devoured the locust before it. Right. The Babylonians were destroyed by the Medes. Then eventually the Medes and the Persians were destroyed by the Grecian Empire of Alexander the Great, which was eventually destroyed by the mm-hmm. Roman Empire. So mm-hmm. they were the locusts to chastise God's people. But then eventually they got punished by God through the next Locusts that God raised up, according to Joel chapter 1-4, he was referring to the those locusts. Eventually, the final world empire is uh, destroyed, not by another locust, but by uh, this little stone that Daniel chapter 2 talks about that comes and smashes the empire at its feet, the great image in Daniel 2, and all of the empires are destroyed, and this stone becomes a mountain, the kingdom of God, and of course this stone is the Lord Jesus. I love this uh, prophecy, Chris. You know, you mentioned that this is the story of the minor prophet Nahan. I just wanted to also mention, if you read these chapters in Second Kings 18 and 19, you'll see it's not only the story of the minor prophet Nahum, it's also the story of the major prophet Isaiah. Wow. Okay. Let's go to Witness Lee for a final segment, man. Strength in this book, Christ is not mentioned, neither referred to. A book without Christ, full of what? Full of Nineveh. And uh, who destroyed Nineveh? The Babylonians with the Medes. The Babylonians were the first class of locusts, and the Medes were the second class, Persians. And these two classes of locusts, they defeated Assyrians as some kind of a swarming locust to deliver the children of Israel, out of the Assyrians' hand. This is a prophecy after Jonah's writing. Jonah firstly extended the salvation of God to Nineveh, and Nineveh got delivered. But later on, Nineveh became sinful again. So Nineveh came over to invade Israel. And before this time, Nahum prophesied, and this took place. This book shows us where God was chastising Israel and punishing the nations. God did the best to preserve Israel. And this book shows God's preserving of Israel. And God's wonderful preserving act was accomplished by locusts. And the ones God used to chastise Israel was also the locusts. God used the locusts to deal with the locusts. 
just for the purpose to reserve Israel. And God's purpose to reserve Israel is for the goal to bring forth Christ. Yes, this book doesn't say anything about Christ directly. Yet you have to see the goal will be still Christ. The preserving of Israel is for the purpose that Christ may have a channel to be brought forth. And this channel is just reserved and preserved Israel. The purpose eventually will be all for the producing of Christ, that Christ may be manifested. Now, to me, this is uh, such a uh, beneficial instruction on how to read the Bible, even a book where there's no direct reference to Christ, prophetically or by reference. Still, we have to understand this book in the light of the one who is the center of the entire revelation of God, and that is Christ. Because without uh, this book depicting God's judgment on this nation of Assyria, this kingdom, whatever, that was uh, about to wreak havoc upon Israel, Israel would not have been preserved. And without Israel being preserved, no Christ to be brought forth. And that's a really important point, Chris, because if you don't see this, you miss God's economy in the whole thing. The purpose is to preserve Israel for the manifestation of Christ. Even though Christ is not mentioned in Nahum, the bottom line is God's people are preserved that Christ could be produced and manifested for the salvation of God's people so that we could have the church to fulfill God's eternal purpose. I mean, this is the bottom line. Otherwise, you get distracted by the fulfilling of prophecy. If you get so much into the prophecy and this and that, I mean, that's amazing. People can get consumed with the amazing aspect of the fulfillment of prophecy and how it validates Scripture, and that in itself is just amazing. If you just look at prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy, yet it's not for that. It's for Christ. Christ is the goal. Christ is the end that we have to be brought to of why God is doing this. Why is God punishing the nations and chastising his people so that they could be preserved for the manifestation of Christ? This is, and you appropriately corrected me, the focus not just of the minor prophets. Really, this is all of the prophets in the Old Testament really revolve around these same things. Israel's chastisement, God's judgment upon the nations for the producing and manifestation of Christ. Those are good words, aren't they? This is the minor and it's the major. This is what we should minor in and especially what we should major in. Matt, we're going on to Habakkuk now, the next of the minor prophets, and uh, we hope you'll join us for those programs. Uh, Matt, I'm going to be uh, uh, away for a few days, uh, some traveling that uh, I'll be involved in, and so we'll, you'll take this chair, and uh, Bob Danker or Ron Kangas or Dick Taylor or one of the uh, many other brothers here that uh, help us at Living Stream will join you for those programs, so I encourage our listeners to stay with us for the final programs of the minor prophets. We'll miss you, Chris, but we'll uh, fill in and try to do our best. Oh, I'm sure you will, Matt, and I look forward to coming back, and you and I get a chance to do this again. That's all the time we have today for Matt Miller. I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee.
Brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America, and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.